0: Hello and welcome to the Sages Cabin. I'm your host, Rox Madeira. I'm a community herbalist and an ambassador for the Herb Society and co-organiser of the Scottish Wild Food Festival based in Scotland, and I run online and in-personal circles and workshops. Um, My focus on the sacred plant medicine, community, family herbalism, and historical herbalism. So you can check out my work on my website rocksmadeira.com and you can find all the bonuses offered in the podcast on my Patreon, Wise Herbal Ways where you can join me on a journey through the seasons and through the moon cycle journeying, meditating and connecting with our plant kin and building your apothecary you can watch the sages speak their wisdom in the Sages' Cabin podcasts Within the Sages' Cabin, I interview herbalists, healers, foragers, nutritionists, growers, movement practitioners, historians, herbal crafters, and other wise folk to provide you with the wealth of expert knowledge. So grab a cup of tea and join me in the Sages' Cabin. Today I'm joined in the Sages' Cabin by Liz Childs Kelly, and we're going to be talking about her new book, Home to Her. Um, Liz has also got a new um, course online, which is actually starting on Saturday, uh, called Her Story is Your Story, and you can find that on the Home to Her Academy. Um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast and as always if you do please like follow subscribe and share and you can check out the podcast's bonuses in my Patreon, wise herbal ways how you got into this work
1: all right um well I'm Liz Childs Kelly and um I have been on this path and exploring the sacred feminine now since let's see my son will be nine in October and um things started kind of right before he was born so I'd say about 10 years now um although I didn't really know that's what it was at the time And um, there's definitely like a a pre and post, you know, there's before, before the divine feminine showed up in my life and after, and before I was very much on a business path. I uh, owned my own company and um, I was super into that, Uh, really thought of myself as, as a card carrying feminist. I, you know, everybody that worked for me were women. And most of the uh, people that I, my clients, I had a consulting firm and most of my clients were women. And so, um, but I had no concept of this thing that I have come to know and understand as the sacred feminine. And, you know, the short story is I went to a business conference. I was there to try and find clients for this company that I had. And um, I saw a woman speaking about uh, indigenous uh, Polynesian wayfinders, um, so sailors who could navigate thousands of miles just by without any of the modern instrumentation that uh, a lot of us have assumed that you need and for some reason those words i had a physical reaction to her words um they they lit something in my body i started getting hot and tingly and um it was it was a very dramatic moment and uh i it's i feel like i'm understating it now but it was it was the kind of experience i'd never i'd never had anything like that in my life and it it felt like somebody had grabbed me by the shoulders and was kind of shaking me and like hey there's something much bigger here than what you're up to right now with this business. Pay attention. And so I started exploring and learning and trying to understand what was happening um, and was really just reading about indigenous wisdom traditions from around the world, trying to get my hands on anything I could. Had no concept, by the way, that most of those books were written by uh, white men of European descent who were coming into these cultures as anthropologists. So you know the accuracy of what I'm learning, I'm not really sure, but whatever it was, it was very helpful for me. And then uh, I, during that time I was pregnant with my second child, my son. And when he was born, um, that was kind of the second piece that fell into place. I, I had, uh, I had my, my daughter, I, I did all the traditional medical interventions and, you know, was had the epidural and all of that. And, um, with my son, I had him unmedicated. So it was a totally different experience. Uh, not necessarily pleasant in lots of ways, um, But I had the most profound sense during that of just the the absolute power that moves through women's bodies during birth in a way that I didn't have the first time around. Um, And that life force, that just unbelievable life force, um, how powerful it was. And I felt this sense of connection to not just my own female ancestors, but to all women who had given birth through time. It was just really, really powerful. And so afterwards, I went home with my new baby and I was thinking about everything that I I'd, I'd read and had been studying about these indigenous traditions. And and I realized somewhere along the way that I wasn't seeing anything about the sacredness of, of childbirth. And, and this was shocking to me because, I mean, this is life. This is how life gets here. Like, I can't think of anything more sacred than that. And that was when the aha moment hit me that everything that I'd been reading it didn't necessarily have to do with those traditions, perhaps. Um But everything that I'd been reading had been told to me by a man, and I was raised in a more conservative Christian household and God was a man and the preachers were always men. And even in my own explorations into Buddhism, which I would kind of been into before this happened, my meditation teacher was a a man and the books were written by men and they couldn't tell me about what they hadn't experienced. and so that was a really devastating realization for me for about 20 minutes maybe i don't know i was really angry and upset and then i just had a moment where i felt like i'm calling bs like this this cannot be this cannot be right there must be somewhere, an understanding of the feminine as divine and a divine feminine force. And of course, I just want to hug that version of me from 10 years ago, because now I know, of course, and there's so much information about the sacred feminine, but I didn't know that at the time, but that was really what kind of pushed me on this path. And so it took a while, but I did, I ended up selling my company Mm -hmm. and just dedicating myself completely to learning about this, which, you know, it just, it led to lots of different things. It led to years of um, I me mean, really, it took a couple of years, I think, to, to heal from, I had really lost a lot of identity, I think, in, in assuming this Mrs. Businessy, businessy businesswoman, um, <laughs> I had carved off a lot of my soul, I think, and I needed to get that back. And then when I was ready, I started researching and that eventually led to me uh, writing my book home to her and hosting this podcast home to her. And um, yeah yeah that's that's it
0: <laughs> and I think you told me that your books just won the gold nautical I didn't have to say it award
1: <laughs> yeah the nautilus award they're given to um books that promote conscious living and spiritual growth and sustainability and um yeah that feels like a big deal to me because some of my mm-hmm. most favorite books uh have have gotten those awards and really people that have you know authors that have meant a lot to me so yeah
0: well, also after like, you know, spending years and years writing it, you know, it's it's obviously, you know, very yeah, I can imagine. That does feel good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you can like tell me a bit about the book. I like one thing I just I haven't managed I haven't read it I haven't read it from cover to cover, but I really want to dive into it. But um I like the fact that you kind of you when you're writing it, you're kind of telling your story about how you're finding things, which is which is nice. <laughs> yeah and I like the fact you've got like these kind of reflection points and sacred practice that dotted at the end of each chapter and stuff so that's quite nice but anyway maybe you could tell me a bit about the book and its kind of concept
1: yes well this actually and it, it, the 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 knowing that I was going to write it that showed up pretty early way before I had any business thinking that I was going to write a book it was and that kind of characterizes this whole journey ever since I um got introduced to what I call the sacred feminine. There's been a lot of following breadcrumbs or just watching what falls into my path. And um, one of the things was this awareness. I just woke up one morning with a very clear thought in my head that I needed to write this book. And, and I wasn't even, if it was just funny, I wasn't prepared to write a book. I didn't know anything. Um, but I think it was sort of like the little kick in the pants to to really get serious about the research. And one of the things that I wanted to do with the book is I wanted to be able to meet people Uh, where they were who who might be like me because I really it 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 was this was strange to me in lots of ways it was um it was a little scary because it was really counter to everything that I learned in the Christian church growing up like this this uh, you know there's a whole undercurrent depending on how you've been raised in Christianity if you're flirting with um, devil worship and, you know, heathen things and pagan things, these are all things I'm completely fine with, you know, like I'm not worried about these things anymore, but it's a Mm -hmm. real thing. I think if you've been kind of indoctrinated into that. And so um, there was that. And then there was also the piece that said, well, I am a serious business person. I have an advanced degree. I run a company. Like I don't, you know, I don't get down there in the weird and woo stuff, which again, now I'm like, throw it all at me. Like there's nothing too weird for me. But um, so I wanted to be able to meet other people if they're in that space to demonstrate that this is something that is um, real and valuable for your life. And especially for those of us who identify as women. Um, And so one of the things that I wanted to do throughout the book was to demonstrate that there's this really rich historical record and it's not to be boring you know or like to throw us back into a history class but it's there and mm-hmm. it goes way beyond what a lot of us got in school maybe you learned about you know a handful of greek goddesses and like their squabbles and the mythology which even that's way more interesting than probably what you got in school but um the, you can find her in every corner of the globe and she doesn't look the same everywhere you know she might be uh sacred earth She might be paired with um, a divine masculine, like a consort, or it might be like an energy source. There's an energy source to the sacred feminine and energy to the sacred masculine. She might be like the whole creator. It it, it varies, but it's there. And so I really wanted to give that to people in a way that's accessible so you didn't have to get an advanced degree. You don't have to feel like you're going to sitting in a boring history class. Um, And then to tell people some of the ways in which I've related to this idea of the sacred feminine. And I did want to weave in some of my story too. And I didn't want to make it too much about me because I think if it becomes too much about me, that's a different experience. Like I want you, if this calls to you, to learn about it on your terms and for, for you to define what this means to you. But I did want to give people enough of what my experience was to just kind of, you know, have some examples.
0: Yeah. I think it kind of makes it a bit more relatable as well, you know, because it's not just yeah. like kind of dry facts or whatever. It makes it more kind of brings it to life, which is quite nice.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: And it's true. Like, you know, there is, I mean, there's a lot of information. I spoke to Max Dashi on one of the podcasts before uh-huh. and, you know, she's got loads of information and so stuff, but it's, it's not in the, it's hard to find, you know, it's not in the general, I don't know, population in the general space.
1: It, you know, you are so right. And um, she, I, I do quote her uh, multiple times throughout my book. She's been on my podcast as well. And she's one of those who has amassed 50, 60 years worth of research into um, not just women's histories, but any peoples around the world whose histories have been suppressed. And most people don't know about her and it's a shame. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that was also part of the work that I wanted to do too, was to amplify mm-hmm. some of these other voices of, the sacred feminine, especially those women that I consider foremothers who were doing this work in the seventies and eighties. And, you know, if it's felt challenging to me to talk about the subject in 2023, I can't even imagine what it would have been like trying to get people to listen to you in the seventies about this. So, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wonder if you could actually unpack the kind of the her story that you found the secret her story. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's quite a big, section but
1: <laughs> yeah and what I tried to do in the book I, I I had a chapter dedicated to this in the book because I felt like I wanted to bring emphasis to it and then I tried to weave it throughout the rest of the book as well and I think what I started digging into this what I found or at least what my interpretation was was that there was a uniform story through history of the sacred feminine and it kind of goes something like this once upon a time everybody on earth knew a, a benevolent Mother goddess. Um, we didn't have war and conflict really, you know, not at the scale that we see now. Um, and then patriarchy, there was a rise of patriarchy that went alongside uh, the rise of agriculture. And that's where we start to see um, the goddess slip away and now she's gone and we have to resurrect her. And um I, what I have learned on this journey is anything that feels like too much of a line, like from point A to point B, it probably has an undercurrent of patriarchy in it. That's not the way that nature works. So that might be a, I think that might be a true trajectory for some peoples. I don't think we know nearly enough to say that's true for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that we have evidence, you know, that uh, agriculture Um, that everybody like came to agriculture and then stayed with it, for example, you know, or we, we don't, we don't know these things, but what we do know is that you can find um, some evidence of people making figurines and sculptures that are very clearly female bodies. They're making them in very particular ways with particular attributes. These date back to 40,000 years and you find them in different parts of Europe Especially Europe, all the way over to Siberia. Um, and then as you move forward in history, you find them in different parts of the world too. So it's not just a European thing. And we don't have writing, you know, we don't know, we can't know what people were um, intending with these things. But I, I think that we do know enough, um, or maybe we can make, you know, a guess that these were sacred and intent. And um, so that I think is, is really powerful. And we see alongside that lots and lots of images of animals. So it's not exclusive to the feminine. We don't see images of the masculine nearly as much, which is really kind of interesting. Yeah. And then as you progress through history, you see her in all different ways and different expressions. And in some places in the world, we have evidence like that from Europe, you know, because these were sculptures that were made with particular kinds of stone that have withstood the test of time. But if you're in a different part of the world and you're working with other materials, that might have long since disintegrated. So then we can start to look at stories, um, and mythologies and indigenous peoples who haven't, whose cultures haven't been completely decimated by colonialism. You can find, um, you can find threads and storylines, you know, that, that involve the feminine through the oral storytelling tradition. And, and our traditional Western lens might not take that. We might not say, well, that's not real evidence, right? Because we don't have something we can hold in our hands. But I think, why not? You know, I mean, to have an oral tradition that carries something on through generation after generation, I think we need to take that, um, as, as evidence as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's kind of how the whole, all the religions are, isn't it? I mean, they're exactly. all kind of stuff that's been taken on. So, yes. Yeah.
1: And there's, um, a researcher by the name of Maria, uh, Gimbutas, Gimbutas, um, I was saying it wrong until someone corrected me. Um, She was Lithuanian-American. Well, she was Lithuanian and then came to America. And um, she amassed just a lot of evidence in what she called Old Europe. Um, And what she did, though, is she was looking at archaeological finds and also laying that against. um, She was also an ethnographer and she was looking at both the storytelling, the oral traditions, as well as what the archaeological record Brought forward, and there were a lot of um, feminists who found her work in the 70s and 80s and really jumped behind her. Um, and uh, but she amassed a, a tremendous amount of information, and, and her work wasn't always well received because she, I think that from a traditional perspective, she was combining, she was combining disciplines, and she was making conclusions, jumping to conclusions. Per jumping, I'm putting in air quotes to conclusions that maybe that she wouldn't necessarily see in the archaeological record alone um but i find that kind of work to be really interesting and helpful when we're looking at the divine feminine too is that and that feels in keeping with what i've learned about the sacred feminine which is multiplicity like there's multiple storylines there's more than one thing happening we don't have to have point a to point b like there's there's lots of things going on at the same time so let's let's look at this from multiple different angles
0: yeah yeah i mean i mean that's Probably generally true about everything, isn't it? I mean, there isn't this kind of A and B in life. It's just uh, yeah, in you know, or nature, like you said, yeah, it's all kind of intertwined and forwards and backwards and changing and stuff. What I did, there was something I think you'd written about. There was a figurine carved from before Homo sapiens emerged fifty, back no, fifty no five hundred thousand years ago, which I thought was quite amazing. <laughs>
1: Yes, and so I yes, I was like should I mention that? I will. <laughs> and and one of the things I mentioned Maria Gimbutas and I also say this in my book too. What you're going to find when you start looking at the really old archaeological record of the divine feminine is a lot of what looks to me and I'm not by the way, I should note that I don't have a degree in this. This is um I am just an enthusiastic learner and it felt really important that I did this research outside of the walls of academia. Um But so I'll just qualify that, you know, like if anybody's listening, um, I'm fine saying I might have things wrong. But it looks to me like there's a lot of hemming and hawing about what is and what isn't a divine feminine figurine. Like I found a guy online who I kid you not looked at one of these ancient figurines and was like, well, that could be the body of a woman, but it could also be the brain of a dissected frog. So you know, it's hard to say. I'm like, what lengths are we going to go to to say that you know? female body can't be sacred and so anyways this particular little stone carving was found in israel and um the the team that found it identified it as they believed it to be a carving of a female figure but it's so old it predates neanderthals you know if you look at it yourself like i think it's open to interpretation it definitely looks like there there is general agreement that um somebody would we even say somebody if it's pre-human sure somebody actually manipulated this with stone or whatever and and shaped it to look like something is See, that it a woman, is
0: amazing isn't it
1: <laughs> right because we have this whole story i think that's part of the part of the gift of digging into the sacred feminine old history is we realize this idea of civilization being the start of like when we were human is just is laughable you know that's just when we that's just an arbitrary line in the sand um, but yes, I mean, 500,000 years ago, somebody had the cognitive ability and the desire and the time and the understanding of raw materials to shape this into a little figurine that represented something to them. Was it a woman? Maybe. I mean, that's what the archaeologist who found it thought. She's not really invested in whether or not people agree with her.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I think you'd yeah. put some somebody else thought it was like a penguin or something but even yes. that's odd in I mean because you don't really have penguins in Israel do you I don't so
1: know I then... mean maybe they did 500,000 years ago maybe, I have no yeah. idea I have no idea right. <laughs>
0: right it could be some other kind of bird you know <laughs>
1: it's true that's true I mean what who knows what's gone extinct in the last half a yeah. million years I have no idea but yeah yeah
0: but it's also um yeah I mean it's interesting because like you know now we can we still look at people in the past and sort of say oh, you know, they couldn't do this because they weren't clever enough, they weren't intelligent enough. And we don't look at them as being the same as we are. We're like, oh, we're so much more intelligent than we were hundreds of years ago, whatever, which clearly cannot be true because otherwise, you know, how did they make all these things? How did they build all these structures and they created all these um, designs and everything, so... (laughs)
1: yes and i think too when you and this is where it does does get interesting and 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 intersects with the sacred feminine to me there are definitely cultures where you can look and you can see these were these were pretty sophisticated cultures that weren't that far back if you look at um the minoan civilization on crete for example which has just tons of evidence of honoring the feminine um Mm -hmm. i'm fairly certain they had um they had uh sewer systems. They um, had a very, very peaceful society. Now they were also blessed, I think, where they lived with abundant um, nature, like life that would support them, which if you live in different parts of the world, maybe you don't have that. Um, But yes, this was, it it was a culture that it seemed like in lots of ways was more peaceful and more, you know, again, who knows, but more peaceful and um, more, I don't know harmonious than like what we have now and yet we would consider that right with the traditional trajectory of civilization we would consider that to be uncivilized
0: yeah 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 so really we haven't really changed that much from the colonial way of thinking where we're looking at savages and trying to you know it's the same sort of thinking really
1: I think that this has become increasingly clear to me as I've done this work I see so many intersections with um Uh, anti-racism work and anti-colonialism work and when we make assumptions that um, people who don't rely on science or data or rational thought exclusively um, are somehow less sophisticated or not as wise that is a hundred percent a patriarchy story and it's it's not even true
0: yeah and maybe that also yeah it's because of the fact that it's off okay not exclusively but it can be in one of the realms of the feminine, I guess.
1: Yes, wait, To say... It, say yeah, I'm thinking that...
0: more of, like, the kind of the seer, like, I mean, obviously there was also men as well, but it's one of the kind of roles that I think people, maybe, like, where the whole witches and the seers and the uh, people, I don't know, more kind of, maybe more, a little bit more intuitive, that kind of sense is maybe a little bit more feminine than... Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, and I and what I I've said in the book too, because it does get tricky now, right? When we're starting to unpack gender in so many different ways, and be like, well, is this actually a feminine attribute? Yeah. Like, what I what I would say is that the attributes and experiences and bodies that we have labeled as feminine, you're absolutely right; those are the things that we have labeled as lesser or dangerous mm-hmm. or um, something to um, suppress. We see that over and over again. Now, whether or not that's accurate, like whether or not we know for certain that, you know, women do have, or, you know, yeah. people who are born in women, female bodies, like have more access to that. We don't know. But um, I think you can absolutely say that. Yeah. I mean, we know for, for sure that women more than anybody else were targeted during the witch trials. And we know that a lot of those were healers and seers and midwives and um, considered wise women. So yeah.
0: So I'm also interested in um you talk about the sacred feminine as ancestor so can you unpack that a little bit?
1: Yeah, and that was and you know Max um Deschew does a really nice job of talking about this as well because when you start to look at the historical record and especially if you look at um you look at some ind- indigenous traditions too they're not necessarily going to have um a goddess, like you're not going to see a goddess, but what you might see is an ancestral grandmother, like an ancestral grandmother figure. And you certainly see that in some other traditions too. I think there's like the Norse tradition, you see that. And um, I know there's lots of different ones. And so that makes sense to me in terms of how life gets here. If we go back to what I said at the beginning of like nothing more sacred than life. If you think about this, this passing down of life, it's coming through the mother line. Nobody got here without being born from a mother, like that's, that's the way it works. And so I think to connect with the sacred feminine, to take this out of the realm of the abstract and in the mind and really into the body is to start to think about how do I connect back to my own ancestral mother line, because that is a direct line to understanding this, this thing that I call the sacred feminine. And I think for anybody who has well, look, we're all we're all children of patriarchy, whether or not we want to be. And so, women, in particular, and mothers, I think, have to contort themselves to survive in this system. And so, a lot of times, that doesn't always play out well for their children and their daughters. And so, going into this work of understanding the the ancestral mother line can can actually be really tricky work. You know, I mean, what what does that look like if, in real practical terms, your mother doesn't approve of you, or your mother wasn't supportive of you, or your grandmother would be horrified by what you're doing right now. Like, what does that look like? So it's not necessarily easy work to start digging into this, but I think, um, when we tap into that, that mother line, however we can, and that's been a whole journey for me, um, we start to tap into some of this innate intuitive wisdom that was perhaps we thought was cut off, um, and I don't think it is. I think we can, I think we can catch it. Cause I think, you know, and if we turn to science, it's, it is in us, you know, it's still in our bones. It's in our, it's in our DNA. Um, you know, they can trace mitochondrial DNA back to the first woman. So that means it's in you, it's in me somehow. Um, yeah.
0: So how are you, how are you tapping into this?
1: It has been a multi-year process. And part of the hardest part was recognizing and accepting that in my lineage, um, so I, I have seven plus generations, I think, on American soil now. So I am, I, 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 there's no motherland for me to go back to. This is my home, um, even though you know I know that I'm a, I'm of English and Scottish, and maybe a little bit of Irish descent, um, and I know that on my mother's side, in particular, they enslaved people. I have the documentation to prove that. I know that my ancestors. Um, accepted land grants that belong to indigenous people. I I know all of this. And then I also know that my people were um, diehard Baptists and Christians way back and would probably, you know, if they walked, if that version of them walked into a room right now and had a conversation with me, I think they'd be horrified uh, by what I was doing. But I don't think they're that version of that person anymore. So my work has been, I think, uh, confronting the shame that I felt about who I come from. Um, and, uh, and recognizing that without making excuses for anybody, that uh, those individuals made the best choices they could at the time that they were alive with the emotional resources they had, with the physical resources they had, with the support they had around them and with the culture that was surrounding them. And, um, And when I, as I have worked on making my peace with that, I can also feel their support in more ways. So from a real, you know, practical standpoint, um, I started an ancestor altar. That's just kind of grown and grown and grown. I, I keep flowers on it. I light candles for them. I say prayers to them and I call them in on a regular basis. I, I ask them to walk with me, um, every, every day. And they, my my ancestors tend to show up to me in my dreams. They'll show up in other ways, but that is the most consistent way. And um, it's been a long process of just waiting and listening and noticing like if shame comes up of doing research perhaps. And again, how lucky am I? I have genealogy research, so I can go in and find stories. Um, And then intuitively feeling into, all right, um, if this, magic is part of my lineage which one of you which one of you grandmas like who gave that to me intuitively feeling into that and then inviting them forward for whatever I need
0: interesting yeah. um that is interesting so then um you're also talking about in your book about um the feminine as sacred earth as mm-hmm. well and then you talk about like uh, beginning to talk to nature and stuff and um yeah, I just wonder if you talk more about that as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that um, I was I was chatting with somebody on a podcast, and it, it's interesting to me when I talk about the sacred feminine. Um, I I want to be clear that to me, it's not like I had a goddess that came in and replaced a male god. Like I didn't do a reverse thing here. Um, and there's not a particular set of religious beliefs or dogma or anything like that that I hold. I think when I pray, it's easier to pray to a divine mother that feels really natural to me. Um, but in terms of like where I find the sacred the most, I find it through the earth. Um, and I I know there are many people around the world who mama earth, Pachamama, there's so many different indigenous names for mother earth as well. Um, when I'm in nature, I'm not necessarily thinking gender at all. I am just connecting with um, the sacredness of earth. But the, exploring the sacred feminine was the, the door opening for me to understand that. And that was one of the first ways that she expressed herself. And so to the point where any kind of um, spiritual practice that I might have, I usually want to do it outside. It just feels better if I meditate, if I am um, calling in guides and support, I, I try to get outside to do it. Um, and I think that the... the The earth, it's uh, like, what do I want to say here? We start listening and we start, yeah, I think the listening, just getting quiet and listening. I think that's when we really can understand this teaching that I first learned with my mind through the sacred feminine, which is that all of life is sacred. Everything is alive and everything has something to teach us. Um, And so... One of my favorite things to do is just go and sit out in the woods behind my house. I really like to do it at dusk, although bears are active now. So I'm getting a little chicken. I don't, you know, I don't, I I prefer to do that in the winter when they're not active. But, um, but to just sit and listen and, and see what comes forward and watch. um, And again, I think the sacred feminine was the opening for me, the understanding that so many people around the, the world have viewed earth as feminine that was the opening for me to go outside take my shoes off walk with bare feet and and recognize the earth as as sacred
0: I'm just i'm still thinking about that you've talking about the bears being outside of that's interesting because like obviously we don't have any any kind of predator <laughs> animals here so it's kind of a strange concept whereabouts are you
1: I'm in um I'm in Virginia in the United States, so that's the East Coast, and they're not that big they're you know they're not that big, but I had one in my yard last week, and everybody told me they were very skittish and so I was kind of yelling at it, thinking he'd run away from the garbage, and that bear could have cared less about me. he was just after the garbage, so after that, I'm like, all right, maybe maybe they're not scared of us, you know yeah. but uh i I mean encounters with people are extremely rare, but um I didn't grow up with them, so I'm maybe a little more on the cautious side
0: okay sorry i just said uh, detour <laughs> um yeah
1: so i also
0: uh what else do I want to ask you yeah so how do you think that the sacred feminine kind of has been erased i guess and then how do you think you could we can kind of find it again today or well i mean again i don't think it's specific, probably not lost it's just kind of there but how can we connect i guess
1: yeah well, I mean there's uh, so many different ways that I think the sacred feminine has been um suppressed and hidden and stories twisted and oh gosh that's like a whole topic. I think you know for better or worse I think the Christian church has done an awful lot of of um work to make this happen. Um you know right down to even uh stories uh like this you know story of uh the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection are awfully similar similar to um the story of a roman goddess Chibele and her son addis who was um who was killed uh went to the underworld for three days and like he was hung on a you know tree and then he was resurrected and everybody celebrated and i mean it's the similarities are remarkable and so there's been a co-opting of stories um i think there's been um as as men and particular groups of men have controlled the microphone Um, And access to um, academia and to books and to all kinds of things. Stories just aren't even prioritized. I I watched a film once about um, these caves in France where there's these amazing cave paintings, um, 30,000, 40,000 years old. But in this particular cave, there's like, there's an image like of a a woman's body and the the male documentarian doesn't even comment on it. And it's the only human figure in the cave. And he's just like, skips right by it. Like, and there's the body of a female. Now let's analyze these animals. And, and I, it's not even seen, you know, it's, it's maddening, truly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another example that I could give more recent is I was watching this travel documentary, um, Watched the show Outlander and uh the two two of the stars from Outlander were doing this kind of fun, cheeky travel show in Scotland and um where they're both from. And they visited a museum where they had um torture devices that were used on witches during the witch trials. And these two men are laughing and trying them on and joking about it, and there's no recognition that this was a reign of terror that affected. Our ancestors—I have Scottish ancestors—that and what that would have done to the women, to their children, to their partners, to their families, to their entire communities—no acknowledgement whatsoever. This was two years ago. So
0: and the lineage it, that, that followed them as well, because obviously yes. it would in the in there.
1: yes, and so it's it happens everywhere, and it's so subtle that's like we don't even know it because it's the waters we're swimming in. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about in the book is to make it clear that the sacred feminine is not dead. Um, She is a vibrant living tradition for lots of people, first of all. So you can turn to um, Hinduism, many deities, many very powerful divine feminine figures, Shakti, so many. Um, You've got a billion followers of Hinduism. So you cannot say the divine feminine is dead. Now, she might not look like what my ancestral people would have known exactly, maybe she would um anybody who follows a tradition that comes out of africa uh there are many goddesses like they're not always called goddesses might be an Orisha, a loa which is more of an ancestral figure but the divine feminine is present there and then i, I she's present actually all over the place i mean many of the major your uh rivers in europe are named after goddesses um many sacred places have goddess names um and then I think we see her in popular culture as well, so part of what it feels like for me and my work is um naming it repeatedly, talking about it repeatedly. I think this is only strange and only forbidden and only hidden as long as we agree to that storyline and If we collectively agree that no, this isn't weird, this isn't out of touch with anything, this is a real thing, and this is worthy of our time and attention and my children's time and attention when I talk to them and my family's time and attention, um, then it's worthy. And that's how it, that's how it shifts. So that feels deceptively simple, I think, because, um, you know, in in addition to uh, living in a culture that doesn't really prioritize that, the divine feminine, I don't think we live in a culture that really prioritizes the spiritual, in general, there might be certain pockets, but like having conversations that center the sacred, you know, that's not really, it's sort of like a double hurdle there. We got to talk about the sacred and then we got to talk about the sacred feminine. But the only reason we don't is because we collectively have, you know, unconsciously perhaps agreed or consented to the fact that that we won't. Um, yeah. So we can, we can say we don't consent to that anymore. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's good, actually, that, like, the people that publish your book, for example, the, they're, they, uh, women craft publishing, they're, I guess they're quite forward thinking in this way, or kind of push this, like, what, um, sorry, lost, lost my train of thought, <laughs> um, push this kind of not forgetting about the feminine and this narrative, that's what I'm saying, this narrative, yeah.
1: Yes. And, um, I love what Lucy and her team are doing. It's been such an honor to be published by her. And, you know, she's one of the only ones that's not the only one. I'm not going to say that, but she's one of the very few that's doing this. So there's so Mm -hmm. much opportunity for more. Um, but at the same time, I do feel like there has been a dramatic shift and change, uh, even in the 10 years that I've been exploring this. And part of it's my world has changed. You know, I have different people in my life, but um, just in terms of resources and any, and I think, um, I think capitalist culture just tries to figure out how to make money on ed- anything. So you could say, for example, like obsession with witches in popular culture and popular TV shows and stuff. Uh, They're trying to figure out how to make money on this. So they will throw shows up that I think, you know, in some cases still are in that patriarchal paradigm, but, but I describe the sacred feminine as like, she's like the ocean and you can't, I mean, good luck pouring her in a box. She's going to go wherever she wants. And um, you can't, you, you can't suppress her. Like she will figure out a way to be expressed now is it subversive in some cases or does it not look maybe the way I want it to sure but she's still going to find a way to um be heard I think
0: Mm -hmm. um so on that note maybe it would be good if you could um tell people about the name of your podcast and how they can connect with you and where they can buy the book
1: Yes. Thank you. So everything's home to her, all home to her, all home to her all the time. Uh, The podcast is called home to her. Um, You can listen to it wherever you get your podcast. I do have a YouTube channel. uh, So if you prefer to watch these, like watch podcast episodes, you can do that instead of just listen. Um, and then the book is called Home to Her, Walking the Transformative Path of the Sacred Feminine. You can also buy that wherever you buy your books. It's on Amazon, et cetera. However, I really like to encourage people to um, look at buying it from my publisher, Woman Craft. She's an amazing woman-owned business who, as you just mentioned, is is focused specifically in this area. Or order it from your local bookstore. Let's Let's keep those going. And if you do read it and you like it, um, you know, as an independent, she's a small independent publisher, like your reviews are super helpful. So reviews in the traditional places like Amazon are great, but if you want to buy the book and support her directly, that's fantastic too.
0: Great, okay, thanks. Um, oh, there was something, one last thing I was going to say, and I can't remember what it was now. Uh, oh yeah, you were, I think you were going to send maybe some meditations or something for the patrons, for anybody, do you know
1: Yes. I can't
0: remember what you said you were going to send.
1: (laughs) Yes, I can. Yes. So one is um one is a practice that I do, I do kind of a modified practice of this now. So it won't sound exact but in my head, it doesn't sound exactly as what I'm dictating to you, but um the a rooting with the divine mother. So rooting into Mother Earth every um a practice for you to do that i do that i start every morning with a version of that and then the other is um an exercise to practice leaning into this idea of the great mother like what would it feel to be supported by the divine feminine in the form of the great mother and so yes i would be happy to share those
0: um, with you they sound great thank you very much Mm -hmm. and thank you very much for your time it was really interesting (laughs) lovely to speak with you (laughs)
1: yeah thank you for your work I love what you're doing here Uh, as soon as I heard the name I'm like I I want to go hang out in the sage's cabin this sounds (laughs) fantastic
0: (laughs) thank you and then I'm gonna have to look out your podcast I didn't actually realize that you did the podcast so yeah I'll go and check that out
1: yeah I do it's um I, I release it every new and full moon and um it's uh I just am exploring the sacred feminine with lots of different people. I tend to have a lot of authors on because I like to read a lot, but I, I like to talk to anybody who's exploring this topic from a variety of different angles. So I've had researchers and activists and people who fall in more of the priestess category, lots of different folks.
0: Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah.
1: yeah. Exactly.
0: Okay. Really lovely to meet you.